0: Today we're going to uh, start something fresh, working through the book of Daniel. And uh, I don't think we've worked our way through an Old Testament book in the last three years. Um, Did you do it before that? When was the last time we went through an Old Testament book on a Sunday morning? Everybody's gone glazed. So we're... Okay, so we're... Sorry? Nehemiah. How how long ago was that? Long time ago. So, anyway... um, what we're going to do now then for the next few weeks should be a breath of fresh air, shouldn't it? Okay, some for some of you. Now the first six ch- chapters of Daniel con- contain accounts of faith that are absolutely certain to inspire and challenge all of us. Whereas the last six chapters are filled with all sorts of visions that can be a challenge even to the most advanced biblical scholars. I wonder who's got some of them. <laughs> Prophetic chapters be a challenge for those who are preaching, won't they, Simon? Be great fun. I wonder who's got chap- the end, the last chapter. However, we'll see. But you know what? I'm praying that as we unpack these things together, we, we can help and uh, help our understanding and and encourage our faith week after week after week. The plan at the moment is to go through a chapter a Sunday, so we are going through it quite a, a speed. Uh, but my prayer is that we'll be inspired to greater faithfulness in our walk with the Lord, and uh, that our faith in the inspiration of Scripture uh, will be strengthened as we go through the books. If you want an overriding theme for the book of Daniel, it would be God rules in the kingdoms of men. And uh, Daniel, whose name means God is my judge, lived during an interesting time in history. All of history seems interesting to me, but this was a particularly interesting time, about 600 B.C., around that, at which time Jerusalem was taken captive by the Babylonians. Um, an initial group of Jews, the most educated and influential, were captured and taken to Babylon, and that group included Daniel and his friends. And then a while later, a second group of about 10,000 Jews were taken to Babylon, and that group included Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, you can read that in Ezekiel 1, 1-3. And then by 575 B.C., Jerusalem was totally devastated by the Babylonian forces uh, and a third group of Jews were taken into Babylonian captivity. So there were a few people left behind, including the prophet Jeremiah, uh, but in the main, the people of God were either in captivity or scattered amongst the nations. Everything was gone, basically. It was a wreck. So let's read Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. It will be on the screen, and um, but feel free to get your Bibles out and read it there as well. Daniel chapter 1. Some interesting words in this one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, uh, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Eshpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and, no, and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing... Isn't that great? Imagine being young, a young man like that. You know, who was like that when there were young men? Any guys here who... Do you think that's a bit special? I mean, you know, without any physical defect, handsome. Any takers? No, Okay just trying to think what I was like when I was that age, however. Just the way my mind works, sorry, but I just, in fact, I just, just we, we read this and go, wow, must have been some guys, these. Handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, quali- and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The king's official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Mishak, and to Azariah, Abednego. Remember those names? Who used to sing about those in Sunday school? Anybody? It used to be a song about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But. but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you "'looking worse than the other young men of your age. "'The king would then have my head because of you.' "'Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed "'over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, "'Please test your servants for ten days. "'Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. "'Then compare our appearance with that of the young men "'who eat the royal food, "'and treat your servants in accordance with what you see.' "'So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days.' At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the God took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Wow. There's a a long reading, but it's a good story. It's interesting. I read it all because, actually, we're we're dealing with chapter after chapter. And you need to understand everything I speak is out of this story. And you've heard the beginning of this story this morning. I've got three points, as usual. Although, actually, there could easily be four. The fourth one would be excellent leadership. But I haven't time to unpack that. Um, So we'll have to settle for the three And the first one is God's people in the right place at the right time. Second, faith or compromise. And the uh, the third one, long-term commitment. So God's people at the right time in the right place. Although this would seem a, a very bleak time in the history of the people of God, as we read through the book, we come face to face with the sovereignty of God. And we see that God was working out his purposes on the earth. Interesting, we've had bits today about tough times and struggling through things and still keeping our focus right and praising God through it. But actually, God is at work all the time in all the stuff of life, and we see it here very, very clearly. Our world today may seem a mess, but our God is working His purposes out even now. Do we believe that? Because He is. He is. It's not out of control. Our God knows the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and Omega. He knows the future. The devil and all the demons of hell don't know the future. Only God knows the future. With God we cannot lose if we will follow him in simple obedience. So when Jesus says this to us in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, he means every word, and I'm going to read it to you. But you see, if you, if you believe God's absolutely in charge and nothing's out of control, this makes sense. If you don't believe this, it doesn't. This is what Jesus said. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. you have little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Our God is in charge, and we are his people. Wow. Do you feel safe? Absolutely safe. We can't lose. Our God is in charge. is all-powerful, and we are his people. Hallelujah. So we see right in the middle of this time of captivity and struggle, in a time when the people of God in Daniel's day could have been lost as a unique people group, God had his people in the right place at the right time. And that has been true throughout all of history. And it's still true today. In our reading, we have Daniel at about 16 years old, handsome, perfect without defect, these must have been some guys. I'd like to think I was like that when I was 16. Didn't quite. Can I remember that far back? Well, just about. But it, 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 it's through rose-tinted spectacles, I assure you. But these were God's men. These, these guys, these four guys, around 16-year-olds, young people. God's men and women in the right place at the right time. Don't wait until you're 30. 30. Don't wait till you're 40. Don't wait till you're 50 or 60. Right now, at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, God's people right now. Very significant. Called of Him in the right place at the right time. Dun, dun, I find that's great. There's something exciting about that. Don't you find that, that God's at work and He takes people and puts them in the right place, and you think, that's a mess. No, it's not a mess. It depends how you're looking at it. It's not a mess from God's perspective. He's in charge. He's working out his purposes. Funny, if you move on in history about 600 years or so, we find the early church in Jerusalem under similar pressure. church in Jerusalem had grown large very quickly. And then we read in Acts 6 through to Acts 8 how Simon performed... Uh, sorry, Stephen performed signs and wonders in Jesus' name and preached a sermon that so upset the religious types of the day that he was stoned to death. And then we read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That means they were turfed out, had to go. Then, then we go on to read this in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Okay? The people of God in the right place at the right time. That's God at work all the time. What about us? I've quoted this chorus that you're going to see on the screen in a minute. I'm going to quote this chorus a number of times since I've preached here in the last three years and I make no apology for quoting it again. It's to sing it as a boy in the Salvation Army as I was growing up and I quote it because it shapes my very simple view of life as a child of God. For me, this is on the screen right now is profound. Just, he's in charge, okay? Just where he needs me, my Lord has placed me. Just where he needs me, there would I be. And since he found me by love, he bound me to serve him joyfully. I believe with every fiber of my being that right where we are is where God wants us to be. And if he wants us somewhere else, he'll make it clear. Do you believe that? See, I know so many people are always wishing there were somewhere else or were somebody else or had a different job or a different set of circumstances, even a different husband or a different wife. I'm not asking for volunteers to put your hand up. <laughs> but you'd be amazed at the conversations conversations I've had with people over the years who are never satisfied, always wishing there were somewhere else. If only this, then everything would be perfect. But there's that phrase, isn't there? Grass is always greener on the other side. You go there and you know what? You just take your problems with you because the problem isn't where you are, the problems, you most of the time. It's like people leave churches and think, well I'm, I'm going up to that church now. Okay, have a great time but could I respectfully suggest, and people are free to move about churches, but could I respectfully just suggest that actually it doesn't change anything in you? Sometimes God does move us on but moving on Unless God directs, it's not a wise thing to do. Some people are, of course, disobedient to his calling. Have a look at Jonah. Just read through Jonah if you want an Old Testament book. God said, go here, and he said no. Finishes up in the belly of a whale. But perhaps that's not going to work with you. But the, the point, I mean, people are sometimes disobedient. To the calling and direction of God but in my opinion and in the main I find that the people of God kind of just drift through life not realizing that where they are is where God has called them to be and so right here each day he wants us to live for his glory and serve him faithfully Now, that's worked out that's worked out in your workplace in your school with in your streets with your neighbors Ouch. Okay? That's that right where you are. God says, now live for my glory. Because if he's in charge, where we are must be the right place, unless, he's, unless we know we're in disobedience. Don't don't you, do, do you get it? You look at me a bit vague. See, I, I believe this with every fiber of my being. It's how I live my life. I, I, I just go where God says go and camp there until he says go somewhere else and while there you live for his glory that seems to be the Christian life this applies if we've lived in Teesside all our lives or if we've moved here for whatever reason Jean and I moved here because God moved us here and here we stay I assure you unless God moves us somewhere else and to be honest, I don't think he will. <laughs> well, he might move us to glory one day, but, and, you know. If, but the reason I say that is because we were 17 years at the church in Milton Clean's that we were part of the church plant. 17 years there. We were nearly 15 years in Bedford. We've been here three. Okay? There's a way to go yet. You know, ask me when we've been here 15 years if God's moving us on. And as I say, it probably will be to glory by then. Whatever the reason you came to to Teesside for, there's a plan. I found it very interesting while on a trip in Turkey, in Yalava, like here in Teesside, there are very many asylum seekers and refugees. And unless God intervenes, every one of those refugees in Turkey will be moved off to another country in two to four years' time. The interesting thing that I found, though, as I talked with them, is that while they're in Turkey, they want to serve the Lord and make a difference. In fact, I think they may be very, very effective in reaching the Turks with the gospel. I think God has a plan. Turkey's a very difficult, difficult country to reach. There's only about 5,000 Christians in Turkey, the whole of 70 million people. And people are working really hard and trying to plant churches. I think God has a plan. And I think it's a, it's a people coming from a Muslim country into, into Turkey who are going to shine and live for Jesus while they're there. And I believe it'll bear much fruit. I see it ever so clearly. It's really exciting, actually. And I'm in touch with them. I'm now in touch on Facebook with a guy called Carol that I led to the Lord. And I said, how are you doing? And he says, I'm walking with God. Hallelujah. It's really exciting. I'm walking with God. Thank you, sir, he put. And I thought, I don't know about the sir bit, but bless him. Sir Paul. (laughs) Dear, dear, dear. (laughs) Servant Paul would be better, perhaps. As I said, in some ways, the situation in Yalava is similar to us here in Teesside. Here we have many asylum seekers and refugees being placed here. Many of you came here because of your faith. Your faith had made it unsafe for you in your own country. Others of you have found Jesus as your Lord and Savior since you arrived here. Either way, I believe with all my heart that God has placed you here with a clear purpose of serving him faithfully as long as you're here you're not just passing through this is a god appointment today and every day you see wherever we find ourselves the people around us need to know about jesus those from the early church in jerusalem understood that and so they were scattered for for fear of their lives they went and had to move and find new jobs and places to live and there probably wasn't any money for them and all of that But everywhere they went, they preached the word of God faithfully. Because they knew that was their calling. We are all called to the same mission of making Jesus known. And we need to understand that we, Jubilee Church, we are the right people in the right place at the right time. Do you believe that? You think, well, I'm only me. Yeah. But what a great God. It's not how how clever we are. You know, we don't have to be all like Daniel looking the part, you know. God takes the broken. God takes the damaged. God takes the sinful. And he saves them. And he calls them his children. And then commissions them to purpose. And said, now walk with me. You're my people in the right place at the right time. That's the truth. It's exciting. It's wonderful. Or I think so. And we will be effective if we're we're prepared to be like Daniel and his friends, putting our faith in God and not compromising. That brings me to my second point, faith or compromise. When we're put under pressure, when we get amongst the people who don't know Jesus and who hold different values from us, the temptation to compromise and fit in is large, isn't it? Can you find that? I mean, who who likes to be the odd one out? Anybody? Who likes to be part of the crowd and everybody loves them? Who don't exist? (laughs) We'd much rather be part of the crowd. We'd much rather be accepted. We'd much rather... Now, you need to understand... I have some experience of this because growing, I grew up as a, in, in the Salvation Army, and the big deal in the Salvation Army, apart from wearing the uniform on Sundays and at other times, uh, which kind of made you stand out in the crowd, but we were particular. The big thing was we were the Salvation Army is teetotal. That means you do not drink alcohol. Neither did you smoke or anything else, but you don't drink alcohol. Now you need to know. Me as a teenager growing up, getting in situations and going where places, and people say, "Do you want to drink?" I say, "No, I don't drink." They'd look at you as though you were like, out your head. You don't? No, no. Because I'm a Christian. Huh? You must be bonkers. That's what they used to say. And, and you know what? I, I went through right through till I was 35 before I ever had a drink. And I would do it again tomorrow. I'd go teetotal again tomorrow if it would help anybody come to Jesus. Because actually, the alcohol abuse in our nation is destroying a nation. Now, it's not legalism, it's it's not that, but to stand out in the crowd and stand against a culture is our calling as the people of God. We're not called to fit in. We're called to demonstrate a different kingdom and a different set of values. That doesn't mean we have to be weird. You know, some people make a culture of being weird. No, no, I don't see the people of God to be weird. I see the people of God as the most normal people on the planet. But we still stand our ground. We say no to certain things. You you have government setting all sorts of things. And you think, no, I don't believe that. This is what the Word of God says. This is where we stand. Okay? We stand out in the crowd. Very important. The temptation to compromise and fit in is incredible. But we read that Daniel resolved not to do that. And he made his stand on, it was about not eating food that his Jewish faith told him was unclean. It says Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He resolved to put God first. And he did that in a way that still honored the people around him. He didn't have a stand-up row. He wasn't rude or belligerent. He politely asked the chief official who was in charge of them if they could only eat vegetables and drink water. And we read that God gave Daniel great favor with this official. We don't have to be rude when we stand against this, the cultures around us. Full of grace. Very accepting, just not receiving it to ourselves. Now this passage has nothing at all to do with whether a vegetarian diet is better for you or not. (laughs) I have heard people quote this. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. The Jews would not eat any meat that was considered unclean. Pork, for example. Neither would they eat meat that had not been handled according to Jewish law, and they wouldn't eat meat that may have been offered as a sacrifice to, to other pagan gods. Because he didn't know that. He says, I'm having none of it. I'll just eat vegetables. So on this, Daniel and his friends took their stand. And actually as we read through the book you'll find they take their stand on a number of other issues at different times throughout the book Daniel and his friends refused to compromise their faith and their trusted in God in taking their stand these four men what happened to them they grew in God they proved God more and more in their own lives Can you imagine saying, just feed me vegetables and give me water to drink? You suddenly step out on a faith limb. You'll see over and over again as we go through chapter after chapter, just no, we're going to do this, and God is with us. But you still have to do it. And they step out on a faith limb and say, God, I quite like a bit of meat, but I'm stuck with potatoes and broccoli. day after day, three years it seems, and longer and longer, but you take that and ten days later they're healthier and stronger and fitter, and that's not because of the diet, that's because of the favor of God and the blessing of God, that's what faith does, faith puts God first and then walks down that way and watches God come through, that's what they did, and that's what God calls us to, although I don't think it's about eating meat in our case, So the first effect of their uncompromising obedience was that the chief official appointed over them saw God at work in their lives. Lots of other people wouldn't know, but this guy knew what was going on, and, and he's thinking, "Well, okay, you want vegetables and water, but I'll, I'll give you the ten days. But you know what? You'll be you'll be looking a bit pale and a bit wobbly, and and they look better than ever, and thought, oh." What's this? This is a testimony to God. This is a testimony saying, We put God first, watch how He blesses us. And that that's where the, the testimony, the, the witness started with this one guy in the nation. Now understand these these young men now lived in a, a pagan culture totally foreign to their Jewish culture They could have compromised They could have gone along without culture and no one, but they and God would ever have known And we wouldn't have known either because there wouldn't have been a book in the Bible called Daniel Does it matter whether we compromise or not? Well, I would say yes. But if you in your life is is living in a way that compromises kingdom values, goes against what God says in the Word, I don't know that. Many people around you may not, not know that. You know it, and God knows it. All I know is your effectiveness will be hindered. That's all I know. I'm absolutely certain if these guys had just gone along in the culture they'd been put in, then there'd be no book of Daniel. The decisions we make have consequences for weeks, months, years, generations to come. Same with our families, all that sort of thing. You know, when it says about the sins of the parents being visited on the children. It, it's not, we, we kind of, th- we, we think of that in a very narrow way. It's just about what you set as parents, what you set in your values as goes through family lines, goes right through, it has, it bears much fruit. If you walk in faith and obedience, then it moves through whole generations of families and sets the pattern for the future you compromise now and you compromise now as people of God with your children and say, it's okay, I promise you, you will set another thing, they will just get lost in the crowd unless God intervenes. We have responsibilities as the people of God. and I don't say it from a legalistic point of view, I say it from a faith point of view, a grace point of view, to say, this is our calling to make a difference. To stand our ground for Jesus Does it matter if we compromise? Well, yes, it does if we compromise God loses the glory due to him We lose out on the blessing of seeing God move in our lives and situation The people around us don't get to hear about our all-powerful Loving God who sent his son to die in their place The people around don't get to hear about the forgiveness of sin that is freely available as we put our faith in Jesus and the people around don't get to know that they can become a new creation and that they can be now and forever children of God. If we compromise all of that, people don't get that. and God doesn't get the glory. So as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, verse 14, How then, speaking of the world, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Who's going to tell your next-door neighbor about Jesus? Who's going to tell your work colleagues about Jesus? Who's going to tell your university friends about Jesus? Who's going to tell your wider family about Jesus? If you don't. If I don't. So, wherever we find ourselves, let's understand that God has put us there. And right there, we can be very effective in living for His glory if we will walk in faith, relying on Jesus every day. Is it scary? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Will we get it wrong sometimes? Absolutely. But God's full of grace. Don't give up on it, put Him first. That's our calling if we are in Christ. And my last point, I just want to finish with this really. This is a long-term assignment. Daniel and his friends never got back home again. They were 16 and they're taken into captivity and they never, ever got back to Jerusalem. They never got back home again. Being effective for Jesus is a long-term commitment. It takes a lifetime. Maybe you've not done very well so far. Maybe you're thinking, i never really thought like this before. Well, you know what? Today can be the first day of that long-term commitment. It can be the first day. Daniel and his friends did not have the option of walking away or moving to another country. They were captive for the rest of their lives. But they made the time count and were hugely effective for God in their day. We live in a day and in a country where we're free to come and go as we please, pretty much. Free to make our plans and further our careers and, and so on. The problem is that we often make our decisions and then ask God to bless them. Our society encourages us to make our career plans and set our life goals and then say, God, that's what I'm going to do. Would you bless it, please? And we're astonished when sometimes he says no. For those who are hidden in Christ, could I suggest that our career plans are always submitted to the Lord and we wait on him for timing and for direction? Yes, God does want us to be successful and effective in our day, but never at the expense of His glory or our effectiveness as as children of God. I think I shared a couple of weeks ago about Helmut and Judith Frank, who planted the church in Izmir in Turkey. Great friends of ours, and, and they've been here. They went there 20 years ago this year. In five years, they saw five people born again, and then after the five years, three people fell away. Five years' work and two converts how how depressing how demotivating and yet now after being there 20 years the church is 200 strong it's the largest christian church in turkey still only scratching the surface in a city of 5 million but they're still there any effectiveness for jesus usually comes from long term commitment it's just a fact read the Bible we are together here in Jubilee for the long haul that's why I don't believe God's going to move Jean and I away from this place doesn't mean I'm going to lead the church forever but I'm part of it and I'll be part of the team forever unless God says otherwise or unless you say otherwise (laughs) tell me to go away See, long-term commitment's important. It's too much in this world, here today and gone tomorrow. I'll give it a go, didn't work. My question when I look at churches and I look at church plants is not, wow, is it there next year or the year after? What's there in 10 years? What's there in 20 years? What's there in 50 years? What's there in 100 years? What legacy have we left as the people of God in our culture, in our community? Jubilee is here for the long haul, not not a short-term thing. It's not just, oh, it was there for 20 years. Perish the thought. We're here for centuries to come, unless Jesus comes again. Yeah? Someone said it's it's about long-term, long-term thinking. I had the privilege of leading Brickhill Baptist Church. The last church I led. It it goes right back to 1789 or something. It actually became a Baptist church in 1823, and I have all the paperwork and all the documentation that goes right back to 1823, and it's been weird, and it's done some strange things, and there's been all sorts of ups and downs, but you know what? It's still there, and it's still bearing much fruit to the glory of God. Long-term commitment is vital. Short-termism bears very little fruit. We're here for the long haul. We want Jesus to get the glory as we move together in faith. And the outcome is all in God's hands. He's in charge. But he will never fail. We are on an adventure in faith together. I mean, some people, you you think I know what I'm doing? No. But I trust the one who knows what he's doing, which is much more important. We're not trying to build an empire to the glory of man. We're trying to see the church have impact into the whole area. We want to see Jesus be glorified. We want Jesus to be famous. It's not about saying, well, we're the better church. No, I couldn't care less the name of the church. We are the people of God called at this time in history to this place, to impact our community and reach out to the ends of the earth. We're on an adventure of faith together and our God does not disappoint. Let's stand. The band could come back, please. Just want to pray for us. Just let's stand before God. I don't want the band to I want them to come back but not play just yet. I just just like us to stand before God. I'm going to invite the Lord to come and just settle some stuff in our hearts. Lord, just just come. On. Would you come right now and rest upon us? Would you burn some truth into our hearts today? Would you would you come and open our eyes again? Just come and rest on us right now, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, 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 the guys who've gone before us, the men and women who've gone through right through the generations, and we read about them, and we hear their stories, and we see their faithfulness and their stickability, and we're, we're actually part of the fruit of them. We, we're the people who've, who, who stand here because other people were faithful in generations past. God, we want to be that sort of people. We want a people who are in the right place at the right time playing our part, being effective for you. Lord, would you please help us? Help us not compromise. Would you help us be people of faith? Lord, we know we're weak. We know we stumble along and, and, and all the weaknesses. But Lord, you know how weak we are and your grace is more than sufficient. And we call on you, Lord, to fill us with your spirit, to give us grace to, make, to be effective, to help us make a real difference. And Lord, teach us just to hang in there and stick at it for the long term not to just run away when we get tired. Lord, we, we're we in this for you. And thank you, Lord. I, I want to get to glory and hear your well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, I want that for us as a people. Well done, my people. Well done. You played your part in your day. Help us do it well, I pray. And may you, Lord Jesus, get all the glory. Amen. I'm going to sing. As we finish, if you'd like prayer for healing or any any reason,